This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the great pleasure of talking with Ashton Applewhite, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Ashton Applewhite is the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism, and the co-founder of the old school anti-ageism clearinghouse. An internationally recognized expert on ageism, she speaks widely at venues that have included the TED main stage and the United Nations, has written for Harper's, The Guardian, and The New York Times, and is the voice of, yo, is this ageist? Ashton is a leading spokesperson for the emerging movement to raise awareness of ageism and to dismantle it. Welcome, Ashton. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure. So let's get started. And let me ask you, do you experience getting older? And if you do, what is that experience? And if you don't, why do you think it is that you don't? Well, if you don't experience aging, you're dead. I mean, aging is living. Living is aging. It is not something annoying old people do. It is a journey upon which we embark the day we're born. We, if you're, you know, Westerners live in a society that tells us that aging, you know, incessantly aging is awful. Aging is something to be feared. And therefore, a lot of us, me included, until I started this project, I am not not pointing fingers here, believe me, um, don't want to think about it and may reject the idea that we are aging because we associate it only with the negatives. No, I'm not falling apart. No, I'm not incompetent. No, I'm not disinterested in sex or, you know, unable to operate a smartphone. So even any or all of those things may or may not be true of you, but they have nothing to do with the inevitable fact that you woke up a day day older, just like the rest of us. So we are all aging. I remember Ashton in uh, 2016, when your uh, book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, was, was published. When I first I published it, it originally. Say again, please. Self-published it originally. That's did you it, really? I didn't know that. When was that? I think that was 2016. Yeah. And oh. then I, I saw, sold the rights two years later to a 
new division of Macmillan called Celadon, but no publisher would give it the respect that I thought it was due, which tells you something about yes, how terrified. Yeah, the publisher that had an option told me that they were concerned that no one else was writing about this. <laughs> you can't make that crap up. Yeah, that is okay. So um, we won't see this as at, 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 at the most basic, a business opportunity. We'll just wait till everybody else is public. Oh, this. Okay. Anyway, I remember when I read it, I was absolutely gobsmacked. It Thanks. seemed to me um, that it was so true, so honest. I'd never read anything like it. And I'm really curious. And how, fun to read. Say again? Fun to read. It is fun to read. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it isn't, it sounds like it might be heavy or stuffy or something. And it's not, it's funny, it's fun. So if you have not read that book yet, go get that book and read it because you should read it. Anyway, what I'm curious about in terms of the U.S. and around the world, what have you seen change in terms of ageism since the book came out? Well, it's very hard to chart or graph a, a, a such a vast, broad, global trend. Uh, I think the best marker, the best sort of most neutral uh, litmus test um, would be the creation I created with two colleagues, um, the Old School Clearinghouse, which you mentioned, the website for which is oldschool.info. And at that time, we scoured the web and came up with all the anti-ageism resources we could find. And it has since grown by leaps and bounds. We didn't even have a campaigns section at that time, which was three and a half years ago. And now it's one of our fastest growing uh, sections. So these are not campaigns about how to live forever or how to use computers. They are explicitly campaigns to raise awareness of ageism and how we can stop it starting between our ears, but in our communities, in our conversations, in the world at large. Um, you know, I have a Google prompt uh, set to ageism. There's more stuff on it every year. The World Health Organization, not the World Old People Organization, launched this March a global campaign to combat ageism. That's the name of it not the name of it in my fantasies. You know, so all these are very concrete indicators that a global movement against ageism is underway. I have about five questions and I, I don't know which one to ask you. It's but the problem with this, everything connects to- Everything yeah. connects to everything else. And so one of the things I'm concerned about, or I'm interested in actually, is, is ageism- different in the United States as compared with Europe, as compared with uh, Eastern? I mean, is it different? Does it change from place to place or is it yes, fundamentally no. the same? I mean, ageism is a thing, the definition of which does not change depending on where on the globe you are standing. We are being ageist anytime we make an assumption about someone or a group of people based on how old we think they are. And that happens in Saskatchewan and it happens in Serbia and it happens in Sarajevo, right? I mean, it happens everywhere. So no place is free of aging, but every not only is every person's experience unique, um, each each culture, you know, it, the the uh, for example, in African American communities, again to broadly generalize, there are always exceptions, but um, older people, older women in particular, tend to be held in higher 
uh, respect than in other communities in the U.S. That's the same country. I have had people say I've never experienced ageism. They tend to be people of enormous privilege who have been able either to be self-employed, for example, like me, and never had to experience ageism in the workplace or who have enough money to buy the supports and services that enable them to function in the world independent of some of the constraints like a fixed income or perhaps reduced physical mobility that make other people aware of discrimination and discrimination on the basis of, of uh, physical and cognitive performance as well, which PS is not ageism, that is ableism. So the experience is utterly unique but everywhere uh, that capitalism has problematized aging and turned you know, your wrinkles or your hormone fluctuations into something that someone can make money off, uh, there is more ageism. And any time that we, when we've ceased to live in mixed age communities, segregation promotes, it sort of legitimizes the abandonment of older people. So those are sort of global trends to look at where, um, you know, to see where ageism is most pronounced, but it's, it's different everywhere. And it's even two people can have the same set of circumstances, most of which have much more to do with class and gender and geography and ethnicity than age. But they may see that as aging very differently, even though to another person on the outside, their circumstances may look the same, same-ish. Same-ish, yes. One, as you're speaking about that, one of the things I thought of, and I found this absolutely fascinating, is that as I've started Prime Spark and talked to women about it, initially, um, when I talked to several women, they got really angry at me. Huh. And I, thought, I, I got so confused until one of them finally said, Sarah, I don't want to think about getting older. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it is deep. It's really deep, you know, and it is, you know, fear separates us and segregates us and makes us stupid. And there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of fear mongering out there because uh, no one makes money off satisfaction. Because if women weren't terrified that if they got wrinkles, no one would ever look at them and they would never get hired. And one really good piece of advice I got when writing my book was don't use the word should. And I didn't. There are so many voices out there telling us women what we should wear and how we should behave and whether we should or shouldn't dye our hair or doctor our resumes or whatever. And you got to do what you got to do. This stuff is really complicated and difficult, especially for women because of the intersection of ageism and sexism. So no judgment, I swear to God, whatever you, you know, whatever path you choose, which of course will change depending on your circumstances. So it's not like we set one path and we stick with it, but um, you know, there, there is this terror and all change starts within my favorite comment on my book, which is kind of inevitable. And I mean, you can speak to whether or not it's true of your experience when you read it is like the first thing you go, Oh crap. I have all these ageist biases inside myself. We all do. I still catch myself thinking and doing ageist things all the time. But the, so the first, and, and it's not pleasant to realize like, oh, I'm biased. And oh, my own attitudes make me a little bit complicit in some of the ways that I might be being marginalized or think myself less capable than I am or whatever. 
different for each of us. The good news is that if you look, it's almost sometimes I, I remember being a little girl and jumping onto my bed from as far away as possible to avoid the monster that was going to grab my ankles. There are real things to be worried about, about getting older, you know, running out of money, ending up alone, getting sick. But the monster is a lot less scary once you look at it, simply acknowledging it, right? So as long as we don't look, you know, I mean, I started on this path in my mid-50s because I realized I was incredibly apprehensive about getting old. And I'm sort of a, a, a nerdy researcher, not professionally, but that's my temperament. And the facts that I started my TED Talk out with, I don't know how many years later, seven or eight, are, were still, they hit me over the head in a matter of weeks. I was like, why? Why are we all so, why so petrified when a very different reality is out there? Not that the scary stuff isn't real, but there's a whole other side of the story that we never hear about. So I can guarantee that if you lift up the, you know, the bedspread and look at the monster, it is so much less scary than the media and the pharmaceutical industry and the beauty industry and, and, and want you to think it is. Well, I think one of the things that, that at least some of us need to do in order to lift up the bedspread and look at the monster <laughs> is look around at our women friends. Um, Absolutely. Look how, look how we're living. Look how we look. Exactly. Look how we are. Look what we're doing in the world. Look um, how we, would you want to be any younger? No. I don't know anyone who would. Oh. No matter how terrified they are. And for lots of older women, it is the best time of all, sometimes not through avenues of their choosing. You know, again, let's be honest. But for me, you know, it is I have so much more confidence in myself. And so many women say they say I give fewer F's, you know, where we're sort of freed again, not always in terms of our choosing from this sense, from all those shoulds, a lot of those shoulds lose their grip on us. And that is really liberating. I hear constantly from women that I speak to that um, they do are experiencing getting older physically, of course, but in terms of who they are to themselves, yeah, <laughs> who, they, uh, who they are to themselves, um, Sarah's laughing because I'm waving my giant sling that I'm wearing um, in the Zoom window because I had a total shoulder replacement uh, three weeks ago. But, you know, most 69-year-olds don't have shoulder replacements. My other shoulder is holding up just fine. So it's just an example of the way, you know, and other people have other health issues that I don't. Is it age-related? Yes, because it's because of arthritis, but it says nothing about the condition of every other 69-year-old out there. It says nothing about you and who you are. I mean, it says you know, I have arthritis. You had a shoulder surgery, yeah. you know, but it doesn't say you could have the same surgery and adapt, you know, better or worser. I don't play tennis. If I played tennis, maybe this would be terrible because I'd never play tennis again, or maybe it would be great because I'd play tennis better than ever. It is a completely individual process. One of the things that you said earlier, and I'm, I want to follow up on because I'm fascinated by it, is that there are um, lots of isms right now. And um, there always were. Say again? There always were. I think we're getting there always were. But I, we live I, in a world right now where everything is highlighted. I mean, it gets it's bigger 
And yep. um, it's time. I mean, you know, I'm not complaining about that. But I'm interested in um, the relationship between the different yeah, sexism and racism and ageism and ableism, because it seems to me there are deep connections there. There are indeed. Um, there are indeed. And um, it's hard for me not to, I, not to think about that through the lens of the pandemic year, because um, because of Black Lives Matter, I started doing a lot of thinking and working on my own racism and my own awareness of the way racism is embedded in American history. I also started thinking about the, the fact that the message, early message around the pandemic was, don't worry, it's only going to kill old people and sick people. And sick people is a proxy for disabled people. So in my own work, I started to, I developed a new talk about the intersection of ageism and ableism because they are not the same, but they overlap in ways that believe me, if no one wants to think about getting old, no one really, really no one wants to think about um, being old and becoming physically or cognitively impaired. But again, when you look, it's, it's fascinating. And this dual stigma, you know, we all, we're all going to become physically incapacitated to some degree. Cognitive impairment is not inevitable, but some part of your body is going to fall apart. So, to, to, so that is essential. And, but what I learned in the past year, which I think I sort of knew sensed, but is the way that all these forms of bias compound and inform each other. That's the premise of intersectionality. I, I won't go into that, but look it up. Um, it's a phrase that came out of Black feminism because of the failure of the women's movement in the 70s and 80s to address the unique barriers that women of color and gay women faced. But the, there is a, this all sounds now, oh my God, this is like such a big burden. I can't even lift up, you know, my, my little finger. But the very exciting and an uplifting um, counterpoint is that activism of any sort is also intersectional. When we look at ageism, for example, realize like part of it is about disability and doesn't have to do with age. Um, and when we chip away at the fear and ignorance that underlies any form of prejudice, we chip away at the basis for them all. And every little act, even if you just start to interrogate the way you use the word old, do you use it as a substitute for insert bad thing? You know, think even just thinking about that or going in the birthday, you know, birthday card aisle and turning over the horribleness there. That is a subversive act and it helps change the culture. Right. Um, I am particularly interested because of, of my work with Prime Spark, I'm particularly interested in gendered. And I think that that, I mean, we, we knew that, but I think that was highlighted during the pandemic because mm -hmm. a lot of people sadly lost jobs, but it was way disproportionate for women, older women and women of color. Always. I mean, which is a perfect example of intersectionality and patriarchy, because, you know, the main thing that happened to, to uh, working women it is much harder for older women to hang on to their jobs, to get interviewed in the first place, to get for older people as a whole. But all these things are worse for women. And then worse again, if you are a woman of color and so on out from sort of the, the center of privilege, which is, you know, white and male. Um, 
So, so you're absolutely right. And women, of course, working mothers, you know, there was no, no subsidy for, or elder care. Most elder care is performed by other older people, right? So it's all these forms of advantage and disadvantage are scaffolded on each other, but the intersection of ageism and sexism is acute. It affects between the two, you know, ageism affects every human being. It's also any judgment, um, since it's any judgment on the basis of age, it's also you're too young. That's also, and so no one, we experience it lifelong and half the population is women. So we're really talking about a force that holds back um, all of humanity to some degree and half of humanity to a huge degree. I found it fascinating um, in thinking about ageism and sexism and so forth that not everyone will be a woman and not everyone will be of color, but everyone will age. Yep. And yep. so it's fascinating to me that people seem not to care about ageism. Now, I think that's changing. I think that's changing. I, I do. I think it's yeah. changing. It but. is. I, mean, I used to call it, um, I used to say ageism is the last acceptable prejudice. And I, and I think that's an idea. A lot of these ideas, you know, circulate in the culture. I don't think I'm some genius that was the first person that that occurred to. Um, I don't say that anymore because I have come to realize how much slack we cut all these other forms of prejudice. Honestly, an awful lot of them are still um sanction i mean look at the last president and and how he sanctioned you know racist violence for example um and misogyny so but to say i mean and no no prejudice makes sense they are all stupid and they are all ignorant and they're god knows they're all damaging but if you talk about logic ageism is prejudice against our own future older selves right. is the epitome of acting against our own self-interest. So I don't want to go out on a limb and say, we should be more self-interested that that's why we should combat ageism, but it, arguably it makes even less sense than any other form of prejudice. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's what I have thought. It's just, it's, it's just all of it's stupid, but that's really stupid because it's going to affect all of us at some point. Duh. I mean, you know, yeah. So what, Working with this all the time, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about when you said raising your little finger, it was just, um, you know. It can feel crushing. It's heavy it's living. So what? It's a huge job. It is what? the work of a lifetime. We have to embark on it with others. But I mean, slightly paradoxically, one of the wonderful things about working against ageism is that it's so unexamined that you can see where you've been. I mean, people, you tell me, I mean, I, I think my, my book is full of ideas where people smack their head and say, geez, why didn't I think of that? It's not because I'm such a genius. It's because I got there first. And there is something really enlightening. If you can get past that first oof of, geez, I didn't realize it was so per so pervasive and so embedded in me. The next step is to see it. And there's a name for this. It's called cognitive liberation. You start to see it in the culture around you. That's what consciousness raising did during the women's movement. Women came together, mostly white middle-class women, and shared stories and realized like, oh, it's not my fault that um, I don't control the family budget or my boss pats me on the ass or my children aren't like, you know, brilliant and blonde enough or whatever. I can't get ahead in my career. These are widely shared political problems. They're not personal problems that we can come together and do something about. And that is genuinely liberating and empowering. 
And that is the linchpin of movement building. And I want to mention that the old school clearinghouse does create our own resources and the most, and we have a series of consciousness raising guides. Again, oldschool.info, everything on the site is free except the books. You can download it, you can adapt it, you can rename it, you can do anything you want with it. Is a new guide called Ageist, Sexist, Who Me? A guide to the intersection of sexism and ageism. It's a big ask to start a group, but download the guide and look at some of the discussion starters and talk about it, talk about it with your friends. And there's also just a guide to plain old who me ageist and one to the intersection of ageism and racism. And it is a wonderful site. You can spend hours there. So if you haven't um, watched or seen that site, then go on and poke around because it is it is really remarkable. Yeah, there's videos, there's workshops, there's animations, there's language guides, there's all sorts of stuff. I um, read or heard you not very long ago say to stop using things like you don't look your age and you called these ageist microaggressions. Can you explain that? And also, can you tell us other things we say that we should stop saying? Because I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I mean, microaggressions, the minute I hear the word, it does, it sounds jargony. And it is something that I wasn't aware of until probably the last two years, what a microaggression is. But it is a comment that the person who makes it typically doesn't realize it's prejudiced. It's uh, offensive in some way. But, um, you know, being told you look great for your age or being called young lady, no one says that except to call attention to the fact that you are not young, right? It's not, it's not actually, it might be intended as a compliment, but it doesn't feel like one. I think, you know, that, that that's an example of a microaggression, whatever we call it. Um, so, and, you know, look, look, there's so much on the web now. One of the other things I take heart in is so all this awareness and activism, which you mentioned earlier, Sarah, about other forms of prejudice, the tools we use to combat ageism are not identical to those to, to combat ableism or racism, but as but the skill set is completely analogous. So if you're working on being anti-racist, a lot of that's those where, you know, learn, learn how to apologize, for example, you know, learn how to think about what you said and not be defensive. Try, try to have the, the courage to call someone out, not in a gotcha kind of way, but to say maybe if you hear something ageist or something that offends you, young lady, you know, um, what do you mean by that? That's a really good all-purpose rejoinder instead of snapping, don't call me young lady, which is what I used to do and sometimes still do. But what do you, you know, really, what do you, you, what you want to do is to make the person who said the thing reflect back on it, hopefully in a way that doesn't make them defensive and to reflect the same yourself. And um, I think the best language tip is to think about the way you use the words old and young. When we say, you know, when we use young at heart or youth oriented language, what does young at heart mean? It means energetic. It means creative. That has nothing to do with youth. Right. The world that I want will have age will not be a source of shame. We will reference our age. It'll be there, but it will be demoted because we give age so much more credit than it deserves. We think I won't have anything in common with someone who's 10 years older than I am. You won't if they don't have anything in common with you, 
but age is never the dividing line, right? So to try not to use vocabulary that is age centric. And if, you know, people say, I don't feel old, what they mean is I don't feel useless. I don't feel ugly. I don't feel incompetent. I felt all those things worse when I was 13 (laughs) than I have ever felt them since. So that's a way of a a very specific thing. And then just stop and say, wait, does that actually, oh, my back, what did I expect at my age? Well, did you, you know, does your other knee hurt? My other shoulder's fine. You know, if a doctor says, what do you expect at your age? It is time to find a new doctor. Because we age at different rates. And, you know, you probably lifted something. Maybe you cooked dinner for 10 people, you know. So think about what what the real reason is, the real symptom is, the real feeling, the actual feeling, rather than automatically, no judgment, blaming it on age. Right. I think uh, just to to highlight one other thing you said, because I think it's so important, is to get in touch with our own prejudice. And um, that's not pleasant. But after you get over the initial unpleasantness of it, it is sort of liberating. Exactly. That's that cognitive. It's like letting a genie out of a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. So of everything you've done, Ashton, what are some of the things you're doing right now that are most meaningful to you? Um, I'm I'm trying to correct for a mistake that I made, um, which is incredibly hard and not fun. But um, we want to use the we my little old school team wants to use the consciousness raising guide to reach out to women's groups. There's so many on the Web right now around going gray, around menopause, around seizing our power as older women. And there's a really important section in the new consciousness raising guide about how we need to avoid the mistakes of the women's movement, which has been racist as discussed and horribly racist in its early days because uh, it was all about the right to vote, but not not if black people got to vote too. It has it has been um, uh, anti, it's been homophobic. It's been ageist. It's always focused on the issues of women of reproductive age. And we need to lift all the boats and the first meeting I had was in, attended almost entirely by older white women, thereby replicating the structures that I know we need to undo. So I have, you know, I wouldn't say put the brakes on because it's all a work in progress and the guide is out there and it's great, but rethink how I can start, start it better, how I can engage in discussions with women of color and, uh, you know, queer women, women who are not just privileged middle-class older white women like me, which is very easy to me to reach because they're like me and it's comfortable and it's easy to find out how, what I am doing, uh, how, how can I make, how can I reach them where they are and make what I'm doing relevant to them? What about what I'm doing is of interest to them, if anything, and if not, how can I change that? I love that. I was recently rereading one of Gloria Steinem's early books, and um, it was it was um, very energizing. And I realized again how much that was about white women. And um, and so I sort of thought, well, in what I'm doing with Prime Spark, am I redoing the same thing? And 
white and woman. I don't want to, but I'm not, I'm not sure how to, I mean, now I'm aware of it and maybe that, and I, I assume that's the first step, but Actually, what do we, what do we do to avoid that? You reach at, you have awkward conversations with anyone, you know, who is not an, uh, an older white woman like us and say, can I talk to you about making what I do of value to you? Are you willing to use, and, and even the ask is awkward because the, we're always putting the burden on people of color who already face other barriers like lower income and racism, right? And homophobia um, that we don't have to deal with. So please take some more of your time, you know, off teach the money. me, teach me, teach me, you know. Well, yeah, but do as much of the work as you can preparatory to it right. to have, you know, specific asks. And, but, you know, it is how we change. It's just really um, awkward and super not fun, but incredibly necessary. And I'm glad you brought it up in your own experience as well. Thank you for yeah. that. I mean, I, I became, um, well, I think a lot of us did. I became deeply aware of my own racism over this past year. And that is so uncomfortable um, and absolutely necessary. And so it is um, a step forward. The really important thing is not not to feel shame. Shame is never helpful. Right. And by making that brave admission in public, you know, what people know that you and I are sincere. We may or may not, we, we are doing better simply by acknowledging that we need to do better. And, and, you know, people from more marginalized groups can see that and appreciate it because there's this paradox of how, you know, we have more privilege. So we have platforms, we need to share the mic and, you know, say, how can I share the mic? Right. How can I use this platform in a way that would help benefit, um, you know, something that matters to you? So last question, what are you most looking forward to as the next thing you're going to do? My son, other than get out of your shoulder, my son recovering from his shattered ankle of yesterday so that um, not everyone in the household is hobbling around with broken bones. Um, Let me give you try for a more interesting answer. What am I most like? You know, I don't have a specific answer because this work is so incremental. And you can never tell what's, I, I have had talks, especially earlier when I was less well-established and I would give a talk somewhere fancy and I would think now everything's going to change and nothing. I didn't even get like a single note. And then a conversation in the, you know, uh, at, at, at the deli with someone's dog walker ends up in a phone call that yields a remarkable opportunity. I will tell you that you know, if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be fascinated by aging, I would have said, ew, why do I want to think about something icky and depressing? You know, like, like the women who are angry, like ick, ick, ick. And it is how we move through life. It is more, it touches on every aspect of human development, every point in our lives, every, every way we see ourselves in the world, every domain of, of, you know, from, from commerce to advertising, to entertainment, to, you know, from social science, to sociology, to biology, there is nothing that is not relevant to it. And it just gets more interesting all the time. And for someone like me, that's, um, that's fantastic. So I'm looking forward to the next surprise. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing, Ashton. You're welcome. So that's our time today. 
please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. You can find out more about Prime Spark at primesparkwomen.com. Thank you again so much to my guest, Ashton Applewhite. And don't forget, you can find her at thischairrocks.com. Thank you for being with us. Take care, spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.